Have you ever been in a situation, by a show of hands, have you ever been in a situation where you were not welcome because of your race, your religion, because of your financial situation, or your education? Anyone? Right. It's good. Let's see. Let's see. Yes, there's hands. A lot of hands went up. A lot of hands. Yeah, hands. Uh, yeah, I am a Christian pastor in West Los Angeles, and I go to parties and gatherings and meetups all the time because I'm a social guy. And also we get invited and Marin goes to a school nearby. And so sometimes the parents will throw these little get togethers and then we go into the beautiful house and people might drink a little wine and they might uh, look at the charcuterie board and pretend like they're not going to eat it, but they really are going to eat it. And then they, there's the stinky cheeses and there's like the little things. And you're like, oh, hmm, yeah, so I tell you, it was been cloudy all month. And uh, they talk about these things, and then they look at the fancy desserts from the fancy place on Montana that serves the fancy desserts, and they go, oh, I can't have that. I'm on a keto diet, et cetera, et cetera. And you, know, you make small talk. And inevitably, the conversation always comes up to Chris Meekins, Pastor Chris Meekins of Pacific City Church. It will come up to me, and they'll say, so what do you do? And not always, but sometimes I found that my job just scares people to death. To the point of not wanting to continue a conversation or certainly not pursue a connection and definitely not to head out to go golfing. Uh, and so, like, I, I know what's about to happen, uh, and, it, and it washes over me. I'm like, well, this is the end of this conversation. And they go, so what? And so back to this. And so you've got a tech type and swirling the wine, catching the nose and seeing the, the legs against the Tyndall effect of the, such a good year. 2007 was such a good year for this Cabernet Sauvignon. So what do you do? And then I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. And it's like, boop, awkwardness begins. And they're like, oh, well, okay. Well, I think we should probably circulate. That was literally something that someone said to me. They're like, wow, wow, that's interesting. Do you like that kind of work? Wow. Did you just fall into it? Or did you do that on purpose? Well, this is interesting. Anyway, and immediately, if you've ever been, like, the immediate, like, so, you know when someone's looking at you in the eyes and their interests, and, and then they start to look over you? They said, yeah, yeah. So that's what it's like to be a Christian pastor in West Los Angeles. Please pray for me. I'm going to invite you forward. You can lay hands on me. I'll feel better. Um, and so it's not like it's like awful, but the exclusion is subtle because people don't really understand what we do. And we don't really have a good track record in America. We are seen as people of authority and oppressive figures and et cetera and all that. And I'm not here to really ramp up and talk about that. But like there's something that it creates an exclusion for me. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think perhaps you're like me. You've experienced exclusion for any number of reasons. Maybe you've been excluded because of your race. You've experienced racism. Maybe you've been excluded by other parents at your child's school. Maybe you're the stepmom and you have to go to the extended family function and you're excluded because she's there too. Uh, maybe you don't make enough money. Maybe you don't have the right pedigree, the right job, the right personality. Maybe you're not open-minded enough. Maybe you're a little too close-minded, or maybe you're too religious, and so you're not included. Exclusion. Who's in and who's out? Much of our world is defined by these, frankly, they're subjective and narrow and arbitrary categories for us and for others. And uh, over the past few weeks, I've been talking about the gospel. And simply put, the gospel is the amazing news that the crucified and resurrected Jesus is God over the whole world. And God offers this news to anybody who will turn to him in faith, but he also offers the power to change our lives for the good. And to those who are changed by him, Jesus says, now come join me and I'll, let's go out and change the world together. 
And one of the most identifiable ways that Jesus people uh, change is that he gives us welcoming hearts. The people who belong to Christ are marked and identified by uniquely welcoming attitudes, and we become uniquely welcoming people. We are people who stretch beyond our race. We stretch beyond our class. We stretch beyond our family background, our politics and religion to welcome people who other people might reject. So I've called today's talk, Everybody Always. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite God's presence. And then we're going to take a look at some verses about Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Uh, God, we thank you uh, that you're already here. And we thank you that you want to do a work in us, that you want to teach us through your son Jesus about how we're to welcome others and how we're to include others. But God, I ask that you would know that you're welcome here, that you're welcome in this room. You're welcome in our relationships and you're welcome in, the, in, in how we grow as a church. So God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should, guide my words. And God, I ask even right now, whether it's through my exact words or not, that you would begin to speak to people here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at a verse, a set of verses written by a guy named Luke. He wrote a book of the Bible in something called the New Testament. The New Testament is something that was written down after the time of Jesus. And so Luke wrote of all kinds of stories about Jesus. And one of the background things you need to know about what we're reading, because we're not going to read the whole book. We're just going to read a few verses from it. Uh, when we read stories about Jesus in the Bible, we see story after story about Jesus eating, eating food. And today we're going to discuss one of those stories. And if you look at Luke 14, verse 1, it says this. One Sabbath, and by the way, Sabbath means like a day of rest or a Sunday. Um, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Um, so first thing we see is the welcome and eating. You need to understand that in the ancient Middle East, meals were an important indicator regarding who was in and who was out, who was up and who was down. So to invite someone to a meal meant they were in with you. And then on top of it, where you were seated at the meal indicated where you were in status, what your status was with that, with that person. So if you were closer to the host, it's a good thing. If you're further away from the house, it's not as good of a thing, but at least you're at the table. And so over and over again, Jesus is eating with people and he's always including people that usually don't get included at the table. This is why we read in Luke 15 verses 1 and 2, it says this about Jesus. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered and said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Ooh, how disgusting. And so what do we see here? We see Jesus is connected to hospitality. Jesus is hospitable, welcome, and hospitality. And just as Jesus showed everybody welcome, Jesus' followers show welcome too, to everybody. Just as he showed them uh, his welcome to people who are on the outside, he welcomes everyone in. That's what we do too. In our church, this is why we have a guest services team led by the amazing Patrick Vukovic, who is up here, who had the beard. Let's give him a round of applause. Wow. Wow. I don't even know if he's here. These lights are so bright. So I'm assuming he's here. I'm assuming he just didn't drive home. So anyway, in our church, we have an amazing guest services team. It's led by Patrick. 
And this is why we welcome, we welcome people, we greet them, we look them in the eye, we try our best to remember their names, we ask them about themselves, and then we wait to see what happens. We welcome people. Too many times when we're trying to be the people of God, we walk into a situation or a church, and it's, so, it's like the loneliest place where we go all week. And that is not going to be the case here. If God welcomes people, Pack City Church welcomes people. Period. That's what we do. But it goes beyond just what we do in these four walls. It goes into what we do in our neighborhoods. It goes to what we do in our building where we live. Maybe if you own a large mansion, you don't refer to it as a building. You refer to it as your mansion. But like for the rest of us who maybe like live in like a condo or close proximity to other people, like we welcome people. We learn their names. We learn our neighbors' names. We get involved in our neighbors' lives. We welcome single people who might not have family in town. And we also welcome older people, elderly people who might be alone. And the way we practice hospitality is by, we, here's how we do it. We invite people into our lives. And how do we do that? We invite them over. Regularly, Nikki and I try to practice inviting people over for dessert or for dinner. And that's what we do. We have them over to our apartment. Maybe you have them over to your apartment. If your apartment is cramped or you've got a roommate that's just a little like it's not going to work, what you do is you take them out for coffee. You take them out for dinner or a lunch. Or if you like, don't want to do that, you go to the park and you just... Like, look out at the ocean and you go, hey. But whatever, you're welcoming them into your life. You're making space in your heart for people and saying, you are welcome. And when you use your gifts of hospitality, you're not just, when you're not just using those gifts for your friends, when you use them for other people who might be alone, you're marking yourself as someone who has the identifying badge of Jesus. You have become a welcoming person through your hospitality. And so it goes beyond this. Jesus says, you know, you know, welcome in hospitality. We read in verse two through four, it says this. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him out on his way. Well, here we see that God's welcome not only includes hospitality, but it includes healing. Welcome and healing. Well, why did Jesus heal? Why did Jesus walk around clearing out towns of all the sick people so they had no more sick people? Why did he do that? Well, part of it was he had compassion when he saw someone in pain. His heart was moved for people just as our hearts should be moved from people when we see them in pain. We should be moved to pray for people when they're hurting. We should proactively pray for the person, whether they're experiencing a divorce or going through the pain of a rejection uh, or even going through an illness. But healing goes beyond just mere compassion. Healing is a demonstration of the welcome of the kingdom. And because Jesus healed folks, he was not only physically restoring them, he was restoring them into full participation into the new community that God is building. You see, in Jesus' day, there were certain people who were excluded from the community. And if you weren't a Jew, if you were a Gentile, you were excluded, you weren't welcome here. But also if you were a defective Jew, a defective Jew because you didn't practice the Sabbath the right way, if you didn't ceremonially wash your hands the right way, or if you were born blind or deaf or uh, lame, or if you had a skin disease or your skin put out some sort of discharge, uh, you, were, uh, you were also defective and you were excluded from the community. And so what Jesus does here, when he performs a miracle of healing a Gentile, 
or healing a Samaritan or an excluded Jew. What Jesus is doing in all these miracles is he is demonstrating the wide open arms of God. He's demonstrating the welcome of God to all the groups that have been pushed out. Historically, he's saying, no more. I am declaring that you are in the family of God. You are part of the community and you are welcome. And so when you and I, when we pray for people, when we pray for miracles, we are declaring that people are welcome. When we pray for someone that's experiencing a tragedy, when we pray for God's healing, we're welcoming the kingdom. And when we pray for a sick person or a street person or anybody in need, we're declaring that they're part of the family of God. And also, like at the end of our services, we welcome people up front here to experience God's kingdom. We're welcoming them in. And so when, if you're on our prayer ministry team, when you pray for someone up here, you are welcoming them into the family of God. And when you receive that prayer, you are welcoming God more into your life. The welcome of God. It's not just for a few, it's for everyone. And then we read, move on to uh, verses 12 to 14 in Luke 14. It says this. So Jesus starts to dial in on everyone here. And he says, then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so this is why we want to be a church that welcomes people with disabilities. The crippled, the lame, the blind... It's a commandment by Jesus. We want to welcome those who are disabled. And so after kind of like Jesus toys with the Pharisees and he says, here, don't invite people that are just your friends. Invite other people, especially the most vulnerable in our society. He tells a parable. Now, a parable, if you don't know what that is, it's a story with a moral. And it's a fictitious story. And Jesus used to speak in parables all the time. And these stories would give an illustration about what he, was, what, what he believed and what he thought God was doing with him in that moment. And so we read this parable in Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. It goes like this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed are those um, uh, who eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And so then Jesus replied, he said this. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Uh, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. What we see here is welcome and the banquet. This is the story of the welcome and the kingdom of God. 
this great banquet idea. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. In this story, the certain man is God. And the great banquet is the messianic banquet. Now, banquets are often used by people who wrote the Bible as symbols of the kingdom of God. And these are symbols of grace because you don't have to do anything except show up to the banquet and eat the food. The banquet is a symbol of pure grace that God offers himself and life with him to everybody. And here's the other interesting thing about a banquet. A banquet is not a potluck. Jesus didn't say that a man once threw a potluck where, where everyone brought their mom's special recipe for, you know, coleslaw and ribs and uh, whatever your moms make. Um, it's not a potluck where and salvation is not a potluck where you put a little in and God puts a little in and adds what he has. The only thing you bring to a banquet table is your appetite. You're hungry. You say, I'm hungry for something that will work in my life. I'm hungry for real answers. I'm hungry for truth. I'm hungry for peace, God. I'm hungry for you. The only requirement for a banquet is that you come hungry, that you come thirsty. Nothing else. All you need to do is come and eat. And eating is such a great picture for the way salvation works. Because in order to enjoy a banquet, you don't just show up to the banquet and stare at the food. You take it in. You make it your own. It's the same way of salvation. You go for it. You embrace it. You take it in. You don't talk about it, debate about it, or leave it out here or stare at it. You make it your own. And also what we see here is that the banquet is a, is a result of great preparation. God's great preparation. Jesus says that a certain man was preparing a great banquet. This banquet represents something that God has been doing and building for a long time. And he goes on in verse 17. I, I think this is really interesting. He says, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell, those, to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So here we see God's invitation. And Jesus says that the man sent out uh, something to everyone that says, come, it's all ready now. And I think that word now is really important. What is Jesus saying for us today? Well, I think it means that he, we can experience healing now. That we can experience intimacy with God now. That we can experience righteousness and joy and peace now. That we can experience some healing in our marriages now. An end to loneliness now. Racial reconciliation now. A welcoming church now. Uh, hungry can be fed now. The immigrant can be welcomed in now. Prisoners can be visited in now. Like now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. We see that everything is now ready. And this man sends a messenger out to tell everyone that it's ready. The time is now. Now, in the ancient Middle East, a host would send out inv invitations much like you would send out an evite or a paperless post, except they were live invitations. But he would send it out ahead of time. So two or three weeks, a month, whatever it was. In a month, I'm having a banquet on a particular such and such a night. And when the night came, he would send out an additional messenger or messengers and tell everyone, hey, it's time. The banquet is prepared. Now is the time to come. And so when we read in our Bibles, if you actually have a paper Bible or if you have something on your phone, if you're scrolling between back and forth between here and your social media, you might want to highlight the word come. Uh, you know, the Lord invites us to come to him. 
so many times in the Bible. And as a church, our commitment is to hang a banner outside of these walls and outside the walls of our heart. that says, come, you will be welcome here. Anyone who wants to. Anyone who's hungry, anyone who's tired of the life they're living, uh, anyone who was at the end of themselves, anyone that is dissatisfied, anyone looking for truth, anyone who is hungry for God, come. The great invitation goes out to every single person in the world, come to Jesus. But there's a twist to this story. We see that it's simply not enough to receive the offer. We need to respond. And the story takes a twist because... Uh, God doesn't force his kingdom upon us. He doesn't force you to come to him. He never will. He respects you as a person. And so he's never going to demand that you come to him. And so what we see are these three guys that make the world's lamest excuses. They don't want to come. They say, look in verse 18. It's right there. It says, but they all like began to make excuses. They said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another, still another said, I just got married. I can't come. Our lame excuses. These are the lame excuses in the world. No one in the ancient Middle East would have ever bought a field without knowing every square foot of that field. You would have known the springs. They would have known the wells, the palm trees, the stone walls. They would have known everything about it. And they would have like they would know the history of the field, what kind of profits it brought, they own, uh, who owned it previously. And so when someone says, I bought a field and now I have to go check it out, it's almost like you invited someone over for dinner and everything is ready and you're like, hey, come on over. And at the last minute, after everything is prepared, what they do is they, they call you and they say, your guests say, they call you and they say, oh, sorry, we can't come tonight. Uh, I just bought a house Uh, My wife and I just signed the papers, the contract papers. We're all locked in. So we're going to drive over to the neighborhood and see what we bought. We don't know exactly like what address it is, but we'll figure it out. Uh, We want to know what neighborhood is. We want to know what it looks like. We just bought it. Uh, You know, no sight, no scene. We just bought it. No one would ever do that. No one would believe that lame excuse then or now. And so you mean you will, what do you mean you bought the house already? What do you mean you haven't seen it? You don't know what neighborhood it's in? You don't know what field you bought? Insanity. Also, in the ancient Middle East, no one would buy a team of oxen until they got to see how the oxen work together. They had to work together. Otherwise, if you have two oxen fighting with each other, then you can't get the work done. There's no point in having the oxen. So that excuse is sort of like, sorry, I have to cancel I bought five used cars. Um, I need to head down to the lot and see what I bought. I don't know what cars they are. I don't know what condition they are. I don't even know if they start. But um, maybe like another time. No one would ever do that. And the same is true for the marriage excuse. Hey, I just got married and I can't come to dinner. What's all that about? (laughs) Crazy kids these days. I really, I really think that's what Jesus was doing there. So, um, anyway, so Jesus is telling us that the invitation requires a response. Yes, God is welcoming, but he doesn't force us. And the truth is, is that people today make lame excuses too. They're discon- if you're disconnected from God today, what's your excuse? I've talked to hundreds of people about Christ over the last 20 years. 
And one of the most common excuses that I hear from people who don't turn to Christ is this. I just don't think that I have a need. Yeah, the story of Jesus may be true, but it doesn't seem particularly relevant to me, like in where I am in my life right now. And maybe this message is relevant to a guy who lives under the Santa Monica Pier, but you've got a decent job, you've got a roof over your head. Over and over again, I hear some version of this story. Yeah, maybe it's true, but I just don't know. Uh, It doesn't seem particularly relevant to me right now. Uh, Well, uh, sometimes I think that people relate to Christ the same way I relate to someone go on and on about their hobby, which I have zero interest in. Like, uh, you know, um, I'm, hey, Chris, uh, what's new with you? I don't know. What do you do? Like, do you do for a well, I, um, well, you asked, Chris, so uh, I'm really into soap carving. And uh, I've got the regular soaps and the scented soaps. And, uh, you know, you should come down to my mom's basement where I live and carve them. And I'm just, I got the special knife, and it's so beautiful. This one right here, this one took me hours to make. It's a gremlin made of dove soap and you're just you're going on and on and on and you're like yes all that you may be saying may be true but i don't care about your soap i just don't care about it let me say it this way just because your life is working out now doesn't mean that a it will always work out this well in the future and b that you're being honest about yourself and your life and if you're a younger person in the room I want you to look around at the gray-haired and our salt-and-pepper Christians because they're shaking their head. They're like, yeah, that's the reality. Life happens and comes at you fast. If you're young and you haven't experienced it, get ready. Just look at a salt-and-pepper Christian in the room. It's going to happen to you too. Life comes at you fast. Christ is relevant in our lives because my life, much like yours, will inevitably hit a curve. Some of us will face addictions or have already faced addictions. Some of us will face cancer. Some of us have already faced cancer. Other of us might face a divorce or we might experience divorce through someone we love who's experiencing it. There might be an unexpected pregnancy for ourselves or for someone that we know. Uh, Each of us will face the crisis of getting old. If we're married, each of us will face the crisis. One of you is going to go first. And each of us has to face the reality of our own mortality. And so when we face life's hardest challenges... What will we do and who will we turn to for help? As Christians, we believe that through Christ, we can handle everything and work through all that life throws at us. With Jesus, we can face our addictions and we can conquer them. Every therapist in the universe will tell you just about the only successful way that you can overcome an addiction is by turning to a power that's greater than yourself if you are trapped in drugs. If you are trapped in alcohol, if you have a problem with pills, if you feel stuck with an eating disorder or sex, if you struggle to overcome sexual abuse or rape, all those things, Jesus can help us with our addictions. Jesus, with Jesus Christ, we can courageously stand up to an unwanted health diagnosis. With Jesus Christ, we can handle difficult relationships and resolve conflicts. You have difficult people in your life. And if you don't have any difficult people in your life, you are the difficult person. (laughs) With Christ, we can learn to forgive each other. And with Christ, people can learn to forgive you. You can forgive others. You can make amends. and, And in our marriages, you know, over time, things get cynical in marriages. But we can be the best for each other year after year when we learn to forgive, when we go to God and we use his power to learn to forgive each other. 
With Christ, we can say, you know, I know the dream in my life isn't working out right now, or my life isn't working out in general, but I know that because we're connected to Christ, I can trust him even when the chips are down. And with Christ, we are offered a supernatural connection that helps us to live our best lives now. That even though life might want to throw something at us that's super difficult, if we can stand up to the worst trials and tribulations, we can stand firm and confident and overcome knowing that nothing will stop us from becoming who we were made to be. And with Christ, we remember and we rejoice because we know that we're made for more. You're not just some little person like just trying to hold out until you die and you get to go to heaven. No, heaven's coming to earth and you are a warrior and you can stand with God and he can give you what you need and nothing will keep you from that destiny that he has called you to. So, so that's that. Yeah. Next point. Thank you. Praise God. It's true. The people who are clapping know it's true. It's true. So let me transition here. Uh, the fact of the matter is that some people don't turn to Christ because they don't want to give anything up. And what we see here is that Jesus requires our whole heart. We have to come to him. We have to come to the banquet to enjoy Christ. He doesn't say, listen, if they don't show up, we're just going to send some doggy bags out. You can enjoy the banquet on your own terms. We'll give him a little box lunch for tomorrow. No, 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 no. The Lord says, that you have to come to the banquet with all that you are and all that you have with your whole heart. And some of us don't want to give our lives to Jesus. We don't want to give him our whole heart. We just want to give him a piece of us. And what Jesus is saying is that it requires your whole heart. Are you ready to give your whole heart to Christ? Then you're ready for Christ. And I will tell you, there's nothing more valuable than Christ. There's nothing more valuable than Jesus. If your boyfriend is keeping you from Christ, you're making a really bad bargain. And if your girlfriend is keeping you from Christ, if some sexual practice is keeping you from Christ, if your business pursuits are keeping you from Christ, if your kids or anything is keeping you from turning to Jesus, your busyness, you're making a bad deal, friend. You are trading the second best or the 10th best thing for what's ultimately best. And let go of whatever is keeping you from Christ and grab hold of him. Now, let me just say something. To the Christians in the room, if you're here and someone dragged you, that's awesome. Continue to be dragged here uh, and just sit still. This is, but I'm talking to people who, have, who claim to follow Jesus. The Christians in the room. The Christians in the room. The banquet table that we're talking about, the, the banquet table of the kingdom, it isn't just for the beginning of the Christian life. God wants to spread a table before you too. And Jesus invites you to continue to taste and see what he has. He has a lot of good for you. He invites you to experience his presence in a real way when you pray. And I contend that you need him as much today as you ever did before. The invitation isn't just for the others. The invitation is for you. It's ongoing. It's an ongoing invitation from Christ to experience him, to have your seat at the table. So Christian, experience him now. If you're not experiencing them now, what are you doing here? It's just a waste of time. Well, I got my ticket. I got my fire insurance. I get to go to heaven. That's not the point of this thing. The point of this thing is that your life would be well lived through the power of Jesus. If you're not experiencing that, you're not doing this right. Come talk to me. We will help you get there. Um, yeah, so the story goes on. He sends, So we see the host. He's kind of frustrated with these lame excuses. 
He sends out other invitations. He says, go out into the streets and the alleyways. He invites the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And then he goes on. He says, the country roads and lanes. And he says, he compels them to come forward so that the house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. You see, God is in the business of sending people out to welcome others. And Jesus wants his house to be full. And so in a very practical way, we can resolve to be a welcoming church. And it means this. It means that we're welcoming here. Like literally, in just a few minutes, we're going to invite people to experience God up here. I'm going to invite a few groups of you for, but after that, after we sing a song, some of you are going to make your way to the lobby. Others of you are going to take the side door and, you know, just, just get out of here. Um, but for those of you that hang around in the courtyard lobby area, um, yeah, it means walking up to someone and saying hello, saying, hi, my name is, and then you awkwardly wait to see what they say. And it means, like, for the people who are going to show up to Next Steps, which is immediately following the service, uh, if you show up to Next Steps, um, you're going to be sitting there at tables, and you're going to be eating uh, lunch, and you should say to someone, hi, what's your name? Cool. What do you do? And you get to know them. And then maybe eventually, just maybe, you know, people will exchange phone numbers, and they'll go spend time with each other without the pastor organizing it. Or they'll say, hey, you know, there's no next steps this week. What if we went on Montana Avenue and grabbed lunch? I'd love to hear your story. At every point in turn, we each take responsibility to welcome others into this community. And a welcoming church also means that we go beyond this community. Like we model it in this community, this church community, but we go beyond this community into our city, into our neighborhood. Practicing hospitality with neighbors means that we help our neighbors and get to know them. A great way to get to know your neighbors is to start by learning their first name. <laughs> I found that most of us don't know the first names of our neighbors. You get to know them. Eventually, you help them move the cushions of the couch or whatever you have to do. And eventually, you have them over. And eventually, you hear their story. And over time, something happens. You begin to show hospitality to your neighbors. And then all of a sudden, they, they want to know about you. And it's an amazing thing. It also means that we keep the doors of our friendship circle open to others. I'm just not going to, I'm going to choose not to hang out with the same people I've always hung out with. It means that I'm not going to stop judging people based on criteria that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And it means that deep in my life, even though I might not always be that good at it, it means that I want my, the inclination of my heart to be like Jesus. Like, I just want to have that thing in me where I just welcome people and I empathize. I can already empathize with them before. Like, I, like I just want them to know that God welcomes them and there's others like me that really want to welcome them. I want to think Christianly about the welcome of God. And we want to do that too. We all want to do that. And so when we as a church begin to practice this, we will see strange and supernatural things happening. We're going to see neighbors serving and praying with each other. We're going to see the haves and the have-nots breaking bread together. We're going to see Ivy Leaguers and GED equivalents serving the poor together. We're going to see Trump supporters and Democrats worshiping God together. We're going to see disheveled types and beautiful models eating dinner together. And we might even see pastors and tech types enjoying a glass of wine at a party together. Why? How? Because Christ's kingdom is all about welcome. 
Jesus welcomed people who were very different than him. He ate with them. And so do we. He invites us, his followers, to do the same. Will you stand with me and pray?